It's uh, great to be able to share God's word with you this morning, and it's uh, a great privilege to be able to do so. The Lord has prompted me to, um, to speak this morning on these two passages from Peter's first letter for two reasons. Firstly, the camp people are studying 1 Peter for the whole weekend. We're not going to study the whole of 1 Peter today, but we're going to take an excerpt from two chapters. And the second reason is that Peter addresses issues which are so common to each one of us, ones that we can all relate to. And um, I just felt, well, the Lord felt that it was appropriate to speak this morning on these issues. There is an outline of the talk inside your service sheet if you'd like to follow me. Um, it's uh, the, the learned preacher John Chapman, the great evangelist of the Anglican Church, once said, I heard him say at a meeting, he said, at least if you don't get any benefit from it, you'll at least know how close I am to finishing. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We praise you that indeed you speak to us so clearly through it. and You make the word, your word come alive uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. This morning, Lord, speak to our hearts, pierce our hearts with your truth. Help us to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus because your word is powerful. It divides between joint and marrow and soul and spirit. And we pray this morning that you'll still our hearts, take away the things of the world, the things of yesterday and the things of tomorrow, and help us to focus on you, our great God and King. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen. The Cecropia moth is the largest moth in North America, but that's not its only claim to fame. Although it is, the moth is actually something like six to eight inches, the wingspan, which is huge for a moth. But not only that, the moth is one of the most beautiful moths in creation. It has a red uh, body with white stripes, reddish brown wings with, with crescent shaped uh, white marks on it. And it's really beautiful. But there is one other claim that it has too. It is, it has the most, one of the most difficult problems in coming out of its cocoon. So it's very well known for these things. The cocoon, uh, it, it has tremendous strife and troubles coming out of a cocoon. Now, I don't know whether moths feel pain or not, but if they do, it would be a very painful process. It's difficult, it's tiring. It goes on for a long time for this moth to break out and to free itself from the cocoon. Well, a story is told that one well-meaning person tried to help the moth out of its cocoon by snipping the edge of the cocoon. Well, it was very effective because the moth came out of the cocoon much more easily with less pain, less trouble, less time. But its wings were all crimped and shriveled. They never ever got strong enough to be able to fly. And the moth was doomed to crawling around for the rest of its life. 
it never ever became the beautiful creature that God created it to be. What the helper failed to realise was that the struggle to get out of the cocoon was an essential part of the muscle building system to enable its wings to expand and to grow. The adversities of life are very much like the cocoon of the Cecropia moth. God uses them to develop our spiritual muscles and to grow us in our walk with him. We all go through many and varied difficulties and problems during our lives. Sometimes we wonder why. I don't know whether you do. I say, God, why is this happening to me? We have many hurdles to overcome, much rocky terrain to climb, steep hills during our lives. And often the question is, why me? Why me, Lord? Well, the Apostle Peter recognises that trials and sufferings are an integral part of life generally and the Christian life particularly. If you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 1. The Apostle, in the introduction, praises God for the gift of Jesus Christ, that in his great mercy he has given us a Saviour and Lord. He praises God for our new birth, our, our living hope, our new inheritance, inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, an inheritance that's kept safe and protected by him for us. He praises God. But then in verse 6 he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. This morning we're looking at three aspects of trials and difficulties and sufferings and problems. We're looking at the fact that they are inevitable. They have a purpose and how we should respond to them. Why is it then that we go, that, that these things happen to us? Well, it's on your sermon outline there. You can look at problems, trials, fiery ordeals come across us because, firstly, we live in a troublesome world. We live in a world that is fallen and broken, a world full of sin and rebellion, a world dominated by the devil. Remember back at creation, when God created all things perfect. God created a perfect man, a perfect woman. They had a perfect relationship with each other. They had a perfect relationship with God. They lived in a perfect place, the Garden of Eden. And then it all went wrong when they failed God. And indeed, they sinned. They disobeyed God and that has tainted the whole of creation from that very day to this very moment today. We live in a world that is broken and fallen. Secondly, trials come because we are still fallen human beings. We've been regenerated, we've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and repentance and we acknowledge and worship God, but we are still 
fallen. We are, we're not perfect. And we will not be perfect until we're in glory with our great God. Also, the evil one is doing his level best to upset our relationship with Jesus. Remember when we were created, we, because of sin entering the world through Adam and Eve, we were created and we were put into Satan's prison. We lived with him in his prison. And when we came to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've escaped from Satan's prison and we've fled to the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. But Satan himself, being the very good jail, jailer that he is, pursues us and he wants us back in his prison. And he makes it tough. Peter says in chapter 5 and verse 8, the evil one is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I don't have to tell you that. That indeed he's Satan. He doesn't worry too much about those who are not the Lord's. But he does try to niggle away at us, God's chosen people, to draw us back into his prison. And fourthly, we go through trials and problems because we are Christians. The Apostle Paul warns us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We as Christians suffer because we are Christians. We stand up for the truth. And the world opposes our stand because our values are diametrically opposed to the values of the world. The world's values are pride and greed and power, whereas our values as Christians are the glory of our great God. We suffer more as Christians because we're more concerned about the sin and rebellion going on around us. Switch on the television, look at the news, the radio, or every day. And we're more concerned about our own failures from time to time to glorify God. So these trials and, and, and problems and difficulties come, come in many and varied forms. They're, they're physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, financial. They knock on the door of your home, your church, your office, your workshop. They come at any time. They come when you're busy, they come when you're relaxing. Trials are no respecter of persons or time. Some trials, of course, are small and they're over fairly quickly. Others uh, uh, weigh on us heavily and linger for some time. But going back to Peter's greeting, if you've still got 1 Peter chapter 1 open, you see there at the beginning, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he said, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered. We are strangers. And throughout the letter, he t mentions it four or five times again, that we as Christians are strangers in this world. We are pilgrims here. We're passing through. We don't belong into this world. We belong with God. 
So as strangers in this world, we must expect problems and difficulties and trials. Dawn and I did a, uh, an intentional interim ministry down in Wagga Wagga some years ago. There was a young couple in our church who moved to Wagga and uh, they bought a five-acre block outside of the town and they were going to build their dream house on this block. But while the house was being built, they lived in a tin, little tin shed on the five-acre property. And the house took, I don't know, five or six months what to, to build. And they lived in this little tin shed. One corner, there was a bit of a basin. Another corner, there was a toilet. They had a bed in another corner. Then they had uh, didn't have any hot water, just... They did have running water, but not hot water. And if any of you know anything about Wagga Wagga, it's boiling hot in summer and freezing cold in winter. And here they are in this tin shed with no insulation, with a concrete floor, and that was it. Waiting for their dream home to be built. That's what, where we are. We today are living in a tin shed with all the problems, the inconveniences and the difficulties, waiting for our dream home. Waiting for the call to go to our dream home. Because then there, there will be, in, the, in our tent shed, there will be problems and inconveniences and suffering. Why? Because we don't belong here. So... We go through these uh, trials and suffering. They're inevitable because of the world in which we live, because of our own failures, um, because of the devil prowling around and the fact that we don't belong. But the Bible teaches that in the sovereignty of God, he uses our trials and problems as part of his plan for us, just like the Cecropia moth. Remember, because of the, str the struggle to get out of that cocoon, the, the tiresome struggle and pain. God uses our difficult times either to discipline us or to prepare us or to test our faith or to grow us spiritually or a combination of all of those. Let's look at them. The writer to the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 5 says, and I quote, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Look through the Old Testament. Look how, how, how he disciplined the children of Israel and he disciplines us today. And the writer goes on to say, endure hardship as discipline. Discipline's a bit of a, an unspeakable word today, isn't it? It's uh, something they shouldn't say too much about. You know, the school teachers, if we've got school teachers here, or the uni lecturers, or the college lecturers, or whatever, you know, they're very much restrained from disciplining the kids or the, the students. Parents are even restrained, aren't they, today? from discipline. But God is not so restrained. He does discipline us. He does. When we stray from that path that he has set out for us, he will bring us back and discipline us. Endure hardship as discipline. 
suffering and trials also come to prepare us for special work that God has destined for us. I think a lot of people overlook this, that with difficult times, God is using those to prepare us to serve him, to glorify him in one of many ways. Think of Jonah. All that time in the belly of the fish, God was teaching him how and why he was to preach to the people of Nineveh. Take Joseph. Ridiculed by his brothers, thrown down the well, carted off to Egypt. Why? To prepare him for God's service. Remember when his brothers came up to him and he said to them in Genesis 50 and verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Maybe you're going through a difficult, traumatic time at the moment. Maybe, just maybe, God is using that to, to prepare you in your struggles to, uh, for something special, a particular ministry, a special person that God wants you to minister to, a unique opportunity. Maybe that could be the case. Think of Jonah, think of Joseph, and I'm sure that he uses that many, many times to prepare his people for the ministry of his son. Thirdly, we suffer trials as God tests and refines our faith. Dawn and I had a lady in one of our churches where we ministered and we had discussions discussion upon discussion she could not accept the fact that God tests us no she would say it's only Satan who tests us <laughs> it's not God but the scriptures are very clear that indeed God does test. look at Ab Abraham Abraham and Sarai promised the son right? they waited they waited they waited then they took it in their own hands but eventually the promised son the promised heir was born and what did God say to Abraham, as he was then known? Abraham, I want you to sacrifice him. So Abraham obeyed. And Abraham and Isaac went up Mount Moriah. Remember? Isaac said, hey, Dad, you know, the fire and the wood are here, but, but where's the sacrifice? God himself will provide, said his dad. And, of course, we know the story, that uh, God intervened at the moment the knife was about to be plunged into his son and provided a sacrifice. What did God say to Abraham? Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Back to the opening greeting. In the uh, Peter's first letter. Remember from verses 6 and 7. In these things that we talked about, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine 
and result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let me repeat it. These trials have come. Trials are inevitable, as he says. These trials have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Trials put our faith to the test as well as stretching our confidence in him. Remember the days when you were in school, maybe college, uni or whatever? So remember some of those traumatic exams or we used to have to go through? Can anyone remember them? One. Only one. Remember them? I know when I went to theological college as a, um, as a young 47-year-old student, um, we used to have, uh, my, my biggest concern is studying Greek and Hebrew. I'm not a natural linguist, but studying. And every morning in college, we would have a 30-minute Greek exam. 30-minute Greek exam. University, school, all these exams. What were the purpose of these tests? What were they? To satisfy the curiosity of the teachers, the lecturers? Maybe. To enable them to put scores on your, your report card? Of course. But the main purpose of them all was to let you know how you're going. Show me a school without tests. Show me a college without exams. Show me a, show me a Christian whom God doesn't test to let us know how we're going in our walk with him. Our Christian maturity is indeed measured by our ability to withstand these tests without them shaking the very foundations of our faith. But, but, the wonderful thing about God's tests is that we get to mark the graves. They're not for his knowledge. Don't you think God knows how you're going in your walk with him? Don't you know the, whether you're growing in your, in, in your faith? That sometimes if you happen to be lukewarm, God knows about your weak lukewarmness. If you're backsliding, God knows that you're backsliding. God knows where you stand. But these tests are given to us so that we will know how we're going in our walk with our Creator. But we can rejoice in this. God is purging and refining our faith as we walk with him. How would you feel if God left you entirely to your own devices? It's not a rhetorical question. How would you feel if God said, righto, you've come to repentance and faith in Jesus, off you go, away you go. How would you feel? I wouldn't feel too good at all. It's like the going on a bushwalk, isn't it, with the guide. And you, you stick with the guide who's leading and guiding and directing you. You wander off on a track over here. You're supposed to be over there. You're wandering off over here. You're likely to, A, get lost or fall over a cliff. Sadly, a young fellow did in the last couple of days. But when the guide brings you back to the path, 
might be hard. It is hard. But he brings you back for his glory and for your growth. Sometimes God needs to thoroughly spring clean our lives to get rid of whatever's blocking our relationship with him. Sometimes he needs to give us a jolt if we're feeling smug about our faith or our church or, or, or our life. But don't be alarmed. Thank God that he does it. We read in chapter 4, verse 17, that thank God that judgment begins with the family of God. At least this judgment, these tests are for his glory and our growth. God's testing of us is to let us know how we're going in our growth with him. The Christian life is not just a matter of coming to a, a repentance and faith in Jesus and that's it, moving on. We are to grow, grow in holiness. Remember what God says in Peter in chapter 1, a bit later, it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And this testing leads naturally to our spiritual growth. We grow through the fiery ordeals and the lesser trials. Just as gold is refined in the crucible to burn off the impurities, so we are being refined by God's blowtorch. James, in his, his letter, the beginning, the introduction, chapter 1 and verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We will grow stronger and firmer when we grow through difficult situations. Let me give you a simple example, simple question. Once again, it's not a rhetorical question. We have two trees, exactly the same type of tree. We have one tree planted in the most adverse conditions you can find. The, the, uh, the place where the soil is poor, where it is uh, subjected to wild storms and hail and wind and floods. And the same tree is planted in a perfect place where it gets a perfect amount of sunshine, a perfect amount of rain and beautiful soil. Which tree, tree is going to go grow stronger? Come on, I said it's not a rhetorical question. Which tree is going to grow stronger? It's the one in the adverse conditions, isn't it? Because it's got to stand up against the wild winds and the storms and it digs its roots down. Further and further and further. The one in the perfect condition, it's just a happy little happy chappy. And it's just roots floundering around on the surface. But the one subjected to the wild storms, the roots go deeper and deeper and deeper. And you will grow. Because in verse 14, the spirit of glory and of God rests in you. You are never closer to God, never more a recipient of his power than when you're going through difficulties. Sometimes God needs to snuff out the candle too so that we can see the panoply of stars.
I guess you've all heard of the tapestry illustration, but I'm going to tell you anyway because I've, I've used it in funeral services, but um, a tapestry. All you ladies, you're all tapestry people, aren't you? Yeah. And of course, they're, they're not always perfect. When you look at the backside of a tapestry, you know, it doesn't make much sense, does it? And indeed, you can see some spots where there's lots of mistakes and things, uh, crossovers and knots and all this sort of thing have happened in, in the tapestry. But one day, that tapestry will be turned over and it will be a perfect picture. And you will see how those mistakes and those crossovers and all that sort of stuff that went wrong when you were making it, you will see where they fitted in to make a perfect picture. How should then, how should we then respond when things go wrong, when our world might fall apart? Do you fight? Do you argue? Do you panic? Do you blame God? Do you leave God? Do you cry out, why me? Why me? Well, Peter is just the man to help us. Peter spent three years with, the, with his Lord. He pleased him and he failed him. And I think every one of us here today can, can identify with the Apostle Peter. He was an eager disciple, zealous for the Lord. But he also turned his back on him. He opened his mouth when he should have listened. He argued when he should have submitted. He denied when he should have stood firm. Doesn't that apply to all of us at some stage? But throughout all of this, God shaped Peter into his own powerful man. Peter, the rock. And he is, is a perfect one to tell us how we should respond to difficulties in our lives. If you turn your Bibles over one page to chapter 4 of the same letter, 1 Peter. And in this chapter, he tells us a few things that we should be doing. First one in verse 12, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're going through. We've discussed that. We know we live in a, a fallen world. We live in a world that's uh, broken. We are broken ourselves and the evil one is, is prowling around. Don't be surprised. Suffering is the way of the world, particularly the lot of the Christian. Secondly, in verse 13, rejoice that you share in the suffering of the Lord. Can I hear you say rejoice? How can I rejoice when things are going wrong? Consider it pure joy, James says. You are sharing in the suffering of Christ. You are identifying with your Lord. But there are three reasons why we can rejoice. Firstly, as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Secondly, God tells us that our trials are for a little while. Just flip back to chapter 1 again, verse 6. Though now for a little while you may have made to suffer, you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. They're temporary. They're not a permanent condition. Even the longest trial on this earth is, only, is nothing 
compared to eternity. I guess many of you have uh, heard of uh, Johnny Erickson, read some of her books. Um, she's now Johnny Erickson Taylor as she was, uh, after she was married. But Johnny dived into Chesapeake Bay, uh, Bay in the United States at the age of 19 and broke her neck. And she ended up a quadriplegic. She's written many books. You may have read some of them. But she's been a great person used by God through all those trials. And she knew she had her ups and downs. Of course, she's in a wheelchair or in a bed all her life. But she knew that her trial, her suffering was only temporary. She knew that when the Lord Jesus was going to return, when she entered the glory of the Lord, that she would be made perfect. It was only temporary. And trials are temporary. It doesn't matter if you live 10 years or 99 years. It is only temporary compared to the glory that's in store for each one of us. And thirdly, our trials become the means to a greater end, a deeper relationship with Christ. The Apostle Paul encourages again in two ways in his letter to the church in Rome. Chapter 8 and verse 17, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. They cannot be compared to the glory being revealed in us. And in verse 28, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, I know it's hard. It's not, some, it's not a verse that you quote to someone who has just lost a loved one. But it is the glorious truth of God, that in all things, he works for the good of those who love him. And finally, in verse 19, the very last verse of chapter 4, so then who, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and to do good. Trust God. Come to the foot of the cross. Trust him. Because our trials are never wasted. They are specially designed for us with our growth and maturity in mind. The furnace of suffering not only provides light to examine our lives but also heat to melt away the dross. C.S. Lewis lost his wife, tragically, and he wrote the book, The Problem of Pain. In that book, he said that trials are not an elective in the Christian curriculum. They are part of the core course. I know of some people in a church where Dawn and I ministered. They had a clothing business, and things went bad, and they went bankrupt. They blamed God, they left God, and they left the church. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, said, and I quote, It doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies. Whether it comes between me and God, or whether it presses me nearer to his heart. 
Well, we started off today thinking about things that are going wrong. Why me, Lord? Why me? God wants us to take our eyes off ourselves and put them onto him. We don't live by explanations. We live by promises. And God has promised us a glorious inheritance. He has promised to be with us and guide us during the most difficult times in our lives. He is right beside it. You know the Footprints poem, don't you? you know, the Footprints poem that, uh, you know, you say, hey, how come there's only one set of prints when I'm going through difficult times? And the Lord said, that's when I carried you. Let us remember that indeed... God said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, Never will I leave you, never ever will I forsake you. And the writer to the Hebrews repeats that just in case we missed it there. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And let me close with just verse 7 of chapter 5 of Peter's first letter. Friends, God tells us, Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, we all know that we do go through difficult trials and problems and from time to time in, in this uh, world in which we live. But we know you are there with us. And we pray, Lord God, that you'll strengthen us and empower us by your spirit that when we go through difficult times that you, Lord God, will indeed uh, lift us up, that when we come to you, draw us to yourself and grow us in grace and the knowledge of our Lord. And so, Lord, we pray these things now in the precious name of Jesus, our Saviour and our Lord.